Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 42. Today we'll be reading Part 5, Exercises and Counsels for Renewing the Soul and Strengthening Her Devotion, Chapters 10 through 14, pages 455 through 463 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get to the reading, let's take a review of what we'll be covering today. Over the last couple of episodes, St. Francis de Sales has been leading us to the end of his book by way of making preparation to continue to live the devout life both in the short and the long term. This is an important section because it calls our attention back to how he began Introduction to the Devout Life by explaining that, as many of us have experienced in our own ways, we often have the desire for the devout life, but less often put those desires into action. Through the first four parts of the book, St. Francis has given us the tools to be able to put these desires into action, and now he's giving us the tools to keep these desires in action. In these five chapters, St. Francis offers five meditations to help us in our pursuit of the devout life. So, before we get to those meditations, let's say a quick prayer. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 10 First Consideration, The Excellence of Our Souls Consider the worth and excellence of your soul, endowed with an understanding that knows not only this visible world, but also knows that there are angels and paradise. It knows that there is a sovereign, good, and ineffable God, that there is eternity, and knows moreover how to live aright in this visible world so as to associate itself with the angels in paradise and to enjoy God eternally. Moreover, your soul has a will that is capable of loving God and incapable of hating him in himself. Look at your heart and consider its nobility. Indeed, just as bees can never stay upon any decaying thing but only fly out to the flowers, so too your heart can find rest only in God and no creature can satisfy it. Fearlessly recall the dearest and strongest affections that have heretofore possessed your heart, and judge in truth whether they have disquieted it and molested it by tormenting thoughts and persistent cares, amid which your poor heart was miserable. Alas, our hearts run after creatures, pursuing them eagerly, thinking they will satisfy its desires. However, as soon as it overtakes them, it discovers that its satisfaction is still far away, for God does not wish for our heart to find any resting place, so that, like the dove that went forth from Noah's ark, but returned back having no place to rest, we too may return to God who is our source. Ah, how beautiful our heart is in its nature. Why do we detain it against its will in the service of creatures? Let yourself say, O beautiful soul, you are capable of knowing and loving God. 
Why will you trifle away your time about anything less than God? You who claim to aspire to eternity, why do you concern yourself with these mere transitory moments? One of the regrets felt by the prodigal son was the fact that while he could have been eating sumptuously at his father's table, he was feeding in the trough of swine. Since, O my soul, you are kapak day, capable of knowing and loving God, woe to you if you content yourself with anything less than God. Vigorously rouse your soul with this consideration. Put her in mind that she is eternal and worthy of eternity. Encourage her with these thoughts. Chapter 11. Second Consideration. The Excellence of the Virtues. Consider the fact that only virtue and devotion can make your soul content in this world. See how beautiful they are and draw a comparison between the virtues and their opposed vices. What sweetness is found in patience in comparison with revenge, and meekness in comparison to wrath and vexation, and humility in comparison to arrogance and ambition, and liberality in comparison to covetousness, and charity in comparison to envy, and sobriety in comparison to revelries? Virtues have the admirable quality of delighting the soul with incomparable sweetness and satisfaction after we have exercised them. Whereas vice leaves the soul exceedingly wearied and disordered, why then do we not strive to acquire these sweet qualities of soul? With respect to the vices, he who has only a few of them is uneasy, and he who has more of them is the more dissatisfied. By contrast, he who has but a few of the virtues already has some contentment, which increases as the virtues themselves increase. O devout life, how lovely, sweet, pleasant, and delightful you are. You soothe our tribulations and give sweetness to our consolations. Without you, wealth is an evil and pleasures full of restlessness, trouble, and deceit. Ah, he who knows you well may say with the Samaritan woman, Lord, give me this water. An aspiration very frequently voiced by the Holy Teresa of Avila and St. Catherine of Genoa though for different reasons. Chapter 12. Third Consideration. The Examples of the Saints. Consider the example of the saints from every walk of life. What have they not done to love God and devote themselves to Him? Look at the martyrs, invincible in their resolutions. What torments have they not suffered in maintaining them? But above all, behold the beautiful and blooming virgins, whiter than the lilies in purity, redder than the rose in charity. Some at twelve years of age, others at thirteen, fifteen, twenty, and twenty-five have endured a thousand kinds of martyrdom rather than renounce their resolution not only as regards the profession of their faith, but also as regards their profession of devotion. Some dying rather than forsake the state of virginity, others rather than desist from serving the afflicted, comforting the tormented, and burying the dead. Ah, what constancy has the weaker sex shown in such circumstances? Consider the holy confessors and their firmness in despising the world. Think of how invincibly they showed themselves in their resolutions from which nothing could ever divert them. They embraced them without reservation and maintained them without exception. What admirable things does St. Augustine tell us about his mother Monica, about how she pursued with constancy her intention to serve God, both in marriage and widowhood? As St. Jerome also speaks of his dear daughter Paula in the midst of so many oppositions and so great a variety of accidents, with such a great host of models, what can we ourselves fail to do? They say what we are. What they did is animated by love for the same God and by a desire to acquire the same virtues. Why then should we not do as much according to our condition and vocation for our cherished resolution and holy protestation? Chapter 13 
Fourth consideration, Jesus Christ's love for us. Consider the incomparable love that Jesus Christ our Lord has shown for us in suffering so greatly in this world, especially in Gethsemane and on Mount Calvary. This love beheld you and through all these pains and sufferings obtained from God the Father good resolutions and professions for your heart. And by the same means, he also obtained all that is needed to maintain, nourish, strengthen, and fulfill them. O resolution, how precious you are, for you are the daughter of such a mother as the passion of my Savior. O how my soul should cherish you since you were so dear to my Jesus. Ah, Savior of my soul, you die to purchase these resolutions for me. Grant me your grace so that I would rather die than part from them. Observe, my dear Philothea, it is certain that the heart of our dear Jesus beheld your heart from the wood of the cross, and loved it, and by this love obtained for it all the good things you will ever have, including your resolutions. Yes, Philothea, we may all say with the prophet Jeremiah, Lord, before you formed me in the womb, you knew me, and before I was born, you consecrated me. For the divine goodness has indeed prepared for us all the general and particular means for our salvation. Consequently, too, our good resolutions. As a pregnant woman prepares the cradle, linen, and swathing clothes, and even a nurse for the child she hopes to bring forth, even though the little one has not yet been born, so too our Savior, seeking to bring you forth to salvation and make you his child, prepared upon the wood of the cross everything that you needed, your spiritual cradle, linen, and swathing clothes your nurse, and all that was needed for your happiness, all those means, appeals, and graces by which he leads your soul and would bring it to perfection. Ah, my God, how deeply should we impress this upon our memory. Is it possible that I have been loved, so tenderly loved by my Savior that he would think of me in particular, even in all these little occurrences by which he has drawn me to himself? How then ought we to love, cherish, and convert them all to our profit? Oh, how sweet to think that the tender heart of God thought upon Philothea, loved her, and procured for her a thousand means of salvation, as though there had been no other soul in the world to think about. As the sun shines upon one place of the earth and enlightens it no less than if it shined on no other, so too has our Lord thought of and cared for all his dear children, as though his attention were holy and entirely focused upon each of them. He loved me, said St. Paul, and gave himself for me, as though he had said, for me alone, as though he had uniquely acted on his behalf. O Philothea, this should be engraved upon your soul in order to affectionately strengthen and nourish your resolution, which is so dear to our Savior's heart. Chapter 14, Fifth Consideration, On God's Eternal Love for Us. Consider God's eternal love shown for you, for before our Lord Jesus Christ as man suffered for you on the cross, his divine majesty contemplated you in his sovereign goodness and loved you exceedingly. But when did he begin to love you? When he began to be God. But when did he begin to be God? Never. For he has always been God without beginning or end. So too he has always loved you from eternity and because of this love has prepared for you those graces and favors that he has given you. Hence, speaking to you as much as to any other person, by the prophet Jeremiah, he says to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And among the other things he has done for you, he caused you to make firm resolutions to serve him. O great God, what resolutions has my God thought upon, meditated about, designed from all eternity? 
Ah, how dear and precious should they be to us! How much should we indeed suffer rather than give up even the smallest of them? Indeed, even the whole world could perish and not equal them, for the whole world is not worth one soul, and a soul is worth nothing without good resolutions. Here, St. Francis has given us five meditations, and he recommends that we take one each day as part of our prayer, to help our own prayer, to sort of guide it, but also to help our resolve. So he offers considerations on the excellence of our soul, on the excellence of the virtues, on the example of the saints, on Christ's love for us, and God's eternal love for us. I guess in, in thinking about these five, as they're coming at the end of the book, um, they offer a sort of summary, I guess, of what we've done so far and how to continue to, to progress. So I think it's, it's worth considering then, like, why these five and why this order of these meditations just in general? Um, there seems to be some inherent sort of reasoning behind it, but I don't know, Father Gregory, can you offer us kind of insight into why we're doing or why St. Francis is asking us to do things in this kind of way. Yes, so when we began, we had those 10 introductory meditations, and we thought specifically about creation, and then we thought about the prospect of hell, and how like one mortal sin could plunge us into the fiery pits, and then we thought about our lives as posed between heaven and hell, and we kind of made that solemn choice for heaven. And so, you know, whereas at the beginning, the gravity of our choice is impressed upon us, right, by the fact that if it goes poorly, it could go really poorly. But here, uh, it's fascinating that St. Francis ends on an especially encouraging note. So not at all menacing or not at all threatening, right? He commends to us the love of God so that having it between our navigational beacons, we can conduct the bark of our ship, which is to say of our lives into the port of call. So I was recently working on this section of St. Thomas Aquinas' commentary on the Gospel of John. And he's asking like why Christ speaks so intensely of his love for his disciples in his farewell discourse. And he says, there's nothing quite like love for eliciting love from the other. So if you want the other to love you, not in a creepy way, but in a good way, um, then show the other that you love him or her. And so Christ shows his love for us as a way by which to inspire our response in love, because ultimately, when we respond in love, that's just, that's salvation because that's the movement of faith and charity. So St. Francis, in keeping with St. Thomas Aquinas and the, the Christian tradition before him, talks about the good that is at stake, the excellence of our souls and of the virtues and of the saints, but specifically, or most kind of poignantly, of Christ's love for us, God's love for us, so that beholding that love, which is manifest and communicated in creation and recreation, right, we might be moved in turn to reciprocate it with the love that he pours into our hearts. So yeah, it's a it's a beautiful way to wrap things up. Yeah, and that's that's an important thing to keep before us as we continue in these last chapters, as we continue to pursue the devout life in all things. That that the Christian life and the church in particular isn't a sort of finger wagging institution. You know, it's not there to point out what is wrong in your life and kind of beat you up, but rather the church is here to point us to Christ you know, who is our God, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, and there's there's a real beautiful thing in that, and she helps direct us in that. So, great. Okay, my second question, or this, the second thing that I want to talk about, at least in general with these meditations, is, so we have the, the general point, as Father Gregory made it, but what about the ordering of them? That caught my attention, that we, we start 
considering ourselves, like the excellence of our souls. That's it fits in what you just said, Father Gregory, right? That like St. Francis is having us consider the good, the importance of like what's going on and and what's on offer. But why like why this order? Why are we starting these five considerations with the consideration of ourselves? It seems is it selfish? It might seem like yikes, a little conceited. I don't know. Yes, so it could seem that way, and especially for a monastic spirituality or a medieval spirituality, it will seem that way. But we can't forget the fact that St. Francis de Sales is modern in his thinking. And you're like, modern? This is like many years ago. What do you mean by modern? Well, typically in Catholic conversations, we refer to those things as modern, which took place, you know, like round about the Protestant Reformation and afterwards. So think about it in these terms. If you've ever heard of the philosopher René Descartes, who is famous for having said, I think, therefore I am, St. Francis de Sales is living at roughly the same time as Descartes. And Descartes famously kind of sets in motion this transformation in philosophical thinking in that he, he has it depart from himself, right? So he wants to prove things from within the limits of his mind. And that's not to say that you know, St. Francis de Sales is a disciple of Rene Descartes. But it is to say that there's a kind of culture, an ambient culture, which is to say there's a modern culture, which each of us are part of, right? And which to a certain extent is inescapable. And so it's going to shape how we think and it's going to shape how we love. And so it's not for us to say like, I rebel or react strongly against everything about, you know, in our case, the 21st century. We just need to be conscious of the fact that we are formed by it. So that way we're you know, not products of it uncritically or uh, unthinkingly. So I think that here you just see a kind of modern influence. He begins with the self. And, you know, it's it's not unfitting that we begin with the self insofar as we are the microcosm of the cosmos or the macrocosm, and that uh, we are, you know, the temple of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or the temple of the Holy Ghost insofar as we play host to the triune God. So he starts with those things which are closest to our experience in order to build out a picture uh, which reaches to the great and glorious heights of God's love for us. So, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of the culture, maybe it's a little bit of his own way of proceeding from things better known to things perhaps a little less well-known. Yeah, and and two, we don't want to look at these meditations or considerations in isolation as if when we consider our own soul or the virtues, we're just doing that without reference to the others, without reference to God, and also how they they are a cyclical thing, right? So he wants us to consider, uh, to use these considerations every day, but one a day and kind of go back through them. So even though we start with ourselves and we end, you know, then the virtue saints, Christ and God, after considering God, we come back to ourselves. It's a sort of cyclical thing. And I think in light of them, understand each one or especially ourselves better. So, okay, great. Some practical tips here then. Practical tips for making and carrying out resolutions from these considerations. I guess the question, how does how does considering these things help me to pursue the devout life? Uh, Father Gregory, you were just saying this sort of modern starting with the self. I think it also goes back to, and, and differently, but even sort of this desert tradition of knowing thyself, you know, from the desert fathers of having some insight into who you are makes sense. Because if you, if you aren't aware of your weaknesses and sins and temptations, and as well as your gifts and abilities, then you can't really like put into practice these desires that we have to pursue God. So that's, I think, one sort of reason why these considerations are important. But I guess as far as adopting these things, because he wants us to do them each day, how, how would you recommend 
you know, adding yet to the already long list of things to do, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think that it has to become a chore or it doesn't have to be the type of thing that you accuse yourself at the end of the day of having failed to carry out. I like to think that, uh, the Christian life flows somewhat naturally from the consideration of God. And so if you find that the order of these isn't ideal for you, then, well, start with the fifth and work your way back to the first. But I think that, you know, in your life of prayer, each of us are going to have our go-to devotions or we're going to have our go-to ways of approaching our holy hour or holy 20 minutes or holy, I'm a busy mom, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be some number between zero and 17, however you characterize your time of prayer. Um, and I think in that case, it's most it's most helpful to think about God. At why? Well, because you, you can't love what you don't know, all right? And you come to know a thing by pondering it, right? So if you fall in love with somebody, even when you're apart, you think on that somebody and that thought makes their presence even more sweet when you are together. So too with God. And then as the fruit of that thought, you thank him for what he's given you, you ask him for what you need. And I think in the context of that prayer, you can return to God's love for you, Christ's love for you, and then think about the way in which God's love has made all things good in their time, all things beautiful in their time. And you start with the saints, and then just think about your own life, you know, your soul, which is capacious, right? So it's, it's something that can be filled up with grace, virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you can think about your soul and the excellence of the virtues in that context. So it's simple, you know, it's, you're thinking about God, maybe meditating on the scriptures of the day, asking him for what you need, thanking him for what you have. And in the context of that, you pick up these different things. Yeah. There's a real, and, and as actually we'll talk about in the next episode in particular, um, with these final chapters, uh, there's a real flexibility here and accommodation. And that's not out of a sort of like relativism of, oh, I'll make this my own just because I, you know, I'm the definer of what it means to pursue God. But St. Francis himself has said this from the beginning, that the devout life is not exclusive and it is adaptable and fits all forms of life in all different states of life. So as Father Gregory, you were saying, we should feel free to sort of use what St. Francis is doing and adapt it to our own life such that we grow closer to Christ because the end goal here is not for the next what, 50 years of my life to make these five meditations every day, um, but to use them to help grow closer to Christ. So, Father Gregory, any last final thoughts on these considerations, these five meditations, before we close out for the day? Yeah, it's, it's a theme that we've repeated quite a bit over the course of these last 40-some episodes. But basically, you know, we're made to the image and likeness of God, which means that we have a mind with which to know and a heart with which to love. And that our holiness isn't just a static thing, it's a dynamic thing. So we come to our perfection by exercising our minds and our hearts, having for them the object of nothing short of God. That's a complicated way of speaking. We can know God, we can love God because God gives us to know and to love him. And so, yeah, when we have these encouragements for particular types of prayers or particular types of studies or whatever it might be, don't be discouraged because it seems like a task or because it seems like something for smarty pants Catholics. Just know that God is giving you what you need to know him and to love him so that you may be drawn, you know, into his divine life and ultimately transfigured by that encounter. Great. Well, with that, we will leave you for today. Be sure, of course, to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, if you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. 
There you will find weekly episodes on different Catholic themes, guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find God's Planning with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplanning.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.